In past episodes, we've talked about sustainability in food production, infrastructure, and transportation. But what about sustainable clothing? Today, we're going to explore textiles. I'm Kirsten Williams, your host. Textiles are all around us, and fashion and apparel touches everyone. Textiles are important, not just to protect us and keep us warm, but to better use our resources for a cleaner world, to reimagine how they are designed, produced, and repurposed. Today, our Cleantech student intern, Vivian Lee, will share more about sustainability, consumer awareness, and consumption habits as she takes us through sustainable innovations in the textiles industry. Vivian, take it away. Thanks, Kirsten. I'm super excited to dive deep into the textiles industry. Today, we'll be talking to Emily Neville, founder of Reborn Clothing Co., a company committed to reducing textile waste by transforming garments with sentimental value into usable products. After talking to Emily, we'll talk to Amy Cook, a professor at UNC Chapel Hill who teaches the only textiles course on campus and has had an interest in textiles ever since she was young. So without further ado, let's meet Emily. I'm Emily Neville. I'm the founder and CEO of Reborn Clothing Co. here in Raleigh, North Carolina. My journey with textiles started uh, actually when I was little. I went to sewing classes at a quilting shop in Fayetteville, North Carolina, where I grew up. And I always would make updates to my closet. I would change the neckline or the hemline of, you know, something I didn't like or had purchased three weeks ago, but wasn't wearing anymore, as we all do as Americans. And so I was very used to this idea of upcycling or extending the lifetime of my clothing, even as like a small middle schooler kid. Um, then as I got into college, you know, became more interested in sustainable fashion and really more interested in eco-conscious shopping. So I was shopping at places like Eileen Fisher or Everlane and just got more and more into this, you know, sustainable lifestyle, but I realized it wasn't actually sustainable for my lifestyle. And so, you know, a lot of times they come with a more expensive price tag. They're harder to find, especially in the mainstream fashion market. And I realized that I could marry this idea of using existing clothing or existing materials and extending its lifetime with this desire to bring sustainability into the mainstream fashion market. So that's what I did. I started Reborn um, first for that kind of consumer upcycling option. So consumers would send in their clothing, we would make updates to it or changes to it, make it into a new product or creation, and then ship it back to them. And that's a portion of what Reborn does today. But ever since I started it, uh, as a 19-year-old, my sophomore year at NC State, it's just grown tremendously since that initial concept. Wow, that's so impressive. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's been so a really, really fun journey. And I love textiles. Like anyone will tell you, I talk about textiles and fashion all the time. It's truly the love of my, my life. Um, there's a lot of exciting things happening here in North Carolina, especially in textiles, that it's fun to be part of. That's awesome. So you said that people can send in their stuff. So like, how does that process work? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a good question. Um, I think I forget sometimes I'm so used to the process, right? That when I explain it, like people are like, whoa, like how does that happen? Right. But basically our, our consumer upcycling arm now is called Reborn Closet. Mm -hmm. um, so this, we actually just recently uh, rebranded these sub brands of our reborn overall umbrella but reborn closet is my love letter to the textile industry it really allows people to take part in an intimate way so what they do is they're going to go to our website and choose from one of our set product templates that we've 
developed at this point. So they can have a memory blanket or a dog bandana, um, whatever they want to do kind of that's offered on our site. And then we list products, we list material specifications. So for a memory blanket, it might take eight to 12 shirts, for example. You know, we can specify if they want to use the front or the back of the shirts um, or all together. And so we list out those specifications. They send in the material to be made into the product they choose. We have a two week window. We're actually reverse engineering that garment. So we take it apart and cut and sew it into the new product um, at our headquarters in Raleigh and then ship it back to them. Could you describe your shipping practices? So how the shipping actually works right now, just to like develop, to, to say that piece as well. Um, once you get to the end of your order process, if you go through the order process for a memory blanket in Reborn Closet, um, you'll get to this end link for USPS where you can print off a shipping label. You put your t-shirts or your clothing into any size envelope or package and then mail it to our headquarters. So that's actually a part of the cost of what you're paying for. So on shipping, um, we're definitely looking at ways to become a B Corp over the next six to eight months. So we're really been going through that certification process, doing the assessment, and definitely lowering our carbon footprint is one way. Um, for right now, we have one central location in Raleigh where a lot of times the materials or, or orders are coming through, are coming to. But one thing that we plan on doing um, as we continue to grow across the U.S. is having these hubs to uh, lower the amount of land right that that package or parcel has to to cross over to get to us since we have the shipping of coming to us and then the shipping of the finished product going back so right now everything's coming to raleigh but you know again it doesn't make sense for like cal berkeley t-shirts or someone in california for that material to come all the way from california to north carolina so we're looking at working with local contract manufacturers in each space if that makes sense yeah. one of the things we're doing we also use all recycled you know packaging and inserts um and that can be recycled as well that's so cool. Yeah, um, I took a couple of classes in textiles in college. I'm actually a poli-sci major, so I didn't come from this industry or background other than what I told you about when I was growing up. Right. But again, there's been so much to learn about working with this U.S. textile supply chain. You know, we do some combination of in-house and outsource manufacturing at this point. So there's a lot of things even in that, too, in the manufacturing process that we can avoid um, so that we can avoid the harmful effects, you know, that it normally takes place on the environment. Right. Will you briefly go over what you think the main issues are in the textile industry, like why you really felt like you needed to start um, Reborn? Yeah. Um, well, obviously, as we know, there's this terrible stain on the textile industry, and it's something we're really committed to changing. Um, I think it's actually something we want to talk about more, the fact that we really are doing something to, to save the planet. Um, the EPA estimates that uh, the textile industry has increased waste um, from over 16,000 tons uh, to like over 20,000 tons in the past couple of years. So it's just insane the amount of textile waste that that's even just what's reported. I think that there's a lot more that's not reported. It's really corporate waste or dead stock inventory. that's being burned or shredded or trashed. So that's a problem, right, is that consumers and organizations and brands of all sizes are met with this issue of an enormous amount of dead stock, of surplus, of textile waste that they're not sure what to do with. And so current solutions are burning it, shredding it, trashing it, sending it overseas, um, which, you know, then it's sitting on the water for 60 days, and it's harming the local economies of, of those countries there, right? So we wanted to do something to change all of that. With upcycling, it's a little bit different from recycling, where we're not breaking down the fibers and starting from scratch. Um, instead, we're preserving that original value of the garment or material while avoiding manufacturing processes that are harmful to the environment. So, you know, normally it takes an enormous amount of water, energy, labor to make 
um, that raw material, right? And so we're able to avoid that and just go ahead and go straight to the cutting and sewing process of manufacturing. That is super cool. So I also saw you guys, where's the other fabric that you're getting if someone's not shipping it to you? Because you guys have other products on the website, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So um, so we do, we have um, a couple of different umbrellas, right, or arms now for the Reborn business. So there's consumer upcycling, then there's our work in the college and university space, and then there's our B2B kind of non-licensed. Um, so now we're working with a growing number of manufacturing partners, of corporations, where we're creating closed-loop systems for them. A couple examples would be Red Bull. So Red Bull has jetpacks um, that have a, a lifetime of about a couple years, right, that their ambassadors use to carry Red Bull all across their campuses. Um, so normally they would need to trash that or shred it. Like they're not really sure what to do with it at the end of its life. Instead now um, from across the U.S. they actually send that to Reborn headquarters. And so we've been cutting and sewing that into tote bags and laptop sleeves that go right back into their ambassador program. So, I mean, you can imagine if Red Bull has this problem, if an individual has this problem, literally everyone does. And in addition to that, um, you can also work with Reborn if you don't have surplus or textile waste, right? But you still want to be a part of the upcycling movement. And so we have this recurring supply of surplus and dead stock from our manufacturing partners like Davis Furniture, Cotton Incorporated, Studio TK. And so we feed that into products as well. So you'll see those online. We really hope to push those out into the mainstream market. Um, and then we also, you know, put them back into corporations for corporate gifting or promotional products, internal use. There's just an incredible amount of ways that you can be involved with Reborn. So how big is the team at Reborn? It keeps growing. Um, yeah, it's been a lot of fun, a lot of exciting growth. So we're up to five full-time employees and 10 part-time now. So we have a total of 15 on our team. And we have some serious growth plans over the next year to continue to increase that. Um, so I've been, you know, doing the company since 2017 now, and I've seen it just continue to grow and really attract the, the best and the brightest in our, in, a, in our industry. That's so cool. So I'm really interested in sustainable fashion and like buying, but I was wondering how do you encourage consumers to choose ethical, sustainable clothes over the fast, like produced garments? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. The biggest thing is going to be price, right? So when we're used to buying fast fashion at H&M for, you know, $3 a t-shirt and don't really realize the true cost of making that garment or making that product, um, our, our vision or our expectations are skewed and unrealistic. Um, at Reborn, because we use that existing material and dead stock material, we are able to have a lower cost of goods sold on the materials side. And so we're actually able to employ U.S. labor, right, and use the U.S. textile supply chain um, for our manufacturing purposes. So but because of that, we still have that kind of competitive mainstream pricing, right? So um, because we're not sourcing organic cotton or, you know, making it with an expensive recycling process, because this really is a common sense business solution, we don't force consumers to choose between price and quality, right? Like it's still accessible. I want it to be accessible to the everyday average person and to their wallet. That's awesome. What are the like main challenges that Reborn faces? So there's obviously a lot of challenges just with starting and running a business, right? Like every day I'm faced with um, just different business decisions, um, you know, whether it's what to focus on that day, because there's just so many different things that are thrown at me. 
um, as a founder to kind of keep going. Uh, external circumstances, right? Like COVID or the market or the fact that college and universities aren't open. So I could really choose from a long list of challenges for 2020. And I think we all could. Uh, the difference or the point that keeps us going is that I, I believe in this brand. I believe in our team and in our story. And so even with all those challenges, um, just every day, you know, I wake up excited and motivated to do my job. And that's never changed in the past three years. Oh, I love that. So again, with COVID, how do you think COVID has really infected like the textile industry? Like maybe specifically for Reborn because you're having clothes sent to you. Like are there different precautions that are now having to be taken? So COVID has obviously affected every industry, but um, it's affected the U.S. textile industry in some really interesting ways. And I was actually giving a presentation to the Southern Textile Association a couple months ago. So I'll just pull from some of the things that we talked about in that and that we're talking about in the U.S. textile supply chain. Um, you know, obviously COVID disrupted the global supply chain, right? Like, I think that it, it put brands and retailers in a really difficult position that, or who work with um, companies or manufacturers overseas because that was shut down, right? They, they couldn't get orders that they had placed from, you know, up to a year ago because you have to normally place an order so far in advance for overseas or offshore manufacturing. Um, so they found themselves looking at the U.S. supply chain for mass production, for other PPE equipment, or even just to fulfill their own orders or need for inventory. So the U.S. supply chain um, which is kind of this hidden secret. And, and definitely there's still contract manufacturers all across the U.S. I think people just don't know about them, right? You're kind of surprised by that or maybe you don't even realize that there's still people making your clothing and making your product, but that's how it works. Um, so just in a lot of ways, I think that COVID actually um, pushed up the need for domestic manufacturing, which has benefits in so many different ways. Like we talked about, um, there's not the cost or the environmental impact of shipping freight overseas, you know, and again, sitting on the water for two months or more. Um, and then also, again, really investing in your local communities and the people and employees who, who work there and who are making products for you to use in your community. So I think it's had some positive impacts um, on domestic manufacturing, and, and we're really excited that we could be a part of, of that. That's really cool. In your opinion, what are the top three things that a brand should focus on in like regards to sustainable practice? Top three. <laughs> All right. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, there's, you know, there's so many, but I think it is good to stay focused, like you're saying, because you can get overwhelmed by how many things you could do, right, um, to kind of stay on track. So, you know, I think that number one, you have to prioritize people and planet in addition or really over profit, right? And I think you're actually just going to reap hopefully more profits when you do that. Like, you know, that's what we've really seen that by investing in people, by caring about the planet, um, we're going to see those benefits in long-term sustainability for our business. So that's obviously like an overarching kind of thing to do, but I think that has to be your top of mind mindset, right? And then that influences and kind of trickles down to everything else you do in your business. Um, similarly, you know, I think we've seen that a lot of companies only in the past couple of years have hired sustainability directors or directors of sustainability, but talking more and more to brands, it has to be something that every single department or person is focused on in the company. Sustainability can't be an afterthought or kind of an added on thing. If you start talking about sustainability and say, oh, wait, we need to get our corporate social responsibility director in this call or sustainability director in this call, like 
one, you're probably not going to do that, but two, you're, you're forcing them to kind of make decisions that should be made in every part of the business component. Um, so I think those mindsets are really critical to focus on as kind of, I guess, two of the top three of like making sure that everyone is aware of the sustainable practices and making sure that you're prioritizing people and planet over profit. And then that's the, the corporate kind of mindset. Um, and then I would say that the other biggest thing is just have a transparent supply chain. You know, I think that really there's just this increasing demand for it from consumers. So it's already something you should be doing, but it's also going to open you up to that feedback and insight from others by being more transparent. And if you can't be transparent, you probably should be asking yourself why, because that's not good. Yeah, exactly. So like as on the consumer side, like how would you encourage consumers to really practice living sustainably in like the textiles because I feel like a lot of times that's something people don't really think about and then I don't know like I've noticed I've just started researching companies a lot more and like yeah the transparency just does not exist for most companies so like how like just for that's true an average person like how do they go about their like sustainable consumption yeah I mean I have a lot of tips for um, (laughs) on the consumer side because it's something that you know it's going to be a lot of individual uh movements and decisions on our part to make that larger overall change and really make sweeping strokes right it's not enough for the companies to be doing it it's not for the consumers to be doing it really all have to just care and i think that's going to continue to prove more and more apparent um so the first thing i would say is that you have to make sure you're not consuming more than you need right so as far as sustainable consumption the most sustainable consumption would be if we bought nothing right if we i mean Reformation kind of has a good tagline in this, right? But they say uh, being naked is the most sustainable option. We're the second. Like, so that's, I think as Americans, we buy a lot. Fast fashion has really encouraged that, you know, cheap clothing that you can get very quickly. Um, you know, we can't even wait for more than two day shipping. Now we need everything has to arrive the next day because <laughs> of Amazon, right? So um, I think that we have to shift that mindset. Um, on top of that, I would say, you know, do your research, just be mindful of greenwashing. It happens everywhere. Um, so like you said, when you're researching companies, the biggest problem is that a lot of them don't have anything on this, you know, so they're not being transparent. You're really not sure where the products or apparel is being manufactured or how it's being manufactured or the impact of that manufacturing on the environment. But then secondly, sometimes people just like to throw up kind of, you know, things about sustainability or being green or eco-conscious. These are all great words, very trendy words to use, but they're not really living it and they're not really having that sustainable impact. Um, So I just think you do have to be pretty careful at this point in your research to know what you're supporting, the types of brands you're supporting um, and what they're really doing to try to, to stop this global issue of textile waste and the harmful effects on the environment. Yeah, I feel like there just has to be some easier way for like the average consumer to like figure out how to support a more sustainable brand because if it's so hard like I just feel like it I don't know it's not convenient for people so no one's going to do it. Right. I mean, I think that that's where you know, I, I think what's inconvenient for us maybe you know we need to shift our perspective around that. Like I don't know. I, I think we should start to feel good about our purchases, right? And to right. me, that's a really that's a really great impact you can have when you shop local or purchase from a company that is doing good, that that's giving back, or you know, trying to make strides to um, to help stop this environmental issue. I definitely feel good about those purchases I make, right? And so I feel like the research kind of pays off, or maybe me saving up for that 
um, more sustainable kind of long lasting product and, and realizing, you know, I come from this industry. So I also realize the true cost of making right. things and I realize how we are squeezed on margins all the time. Mm-hmm. So every brand is right. And so, but when we as consumers kind of demand this, you know, lowest pricing black Friday deals all the time, like we're really affecting the workers and the ability for those brands to make things in a more sustainable process. So we can't say that we want it, you know, but then kind of insist the opposite. Right. That makes sense. Thank you, Emily, for talking with us today. Um, was there anything else you'd like to add? Yeah. Well, we have a lot of things coming down the pipeline, so I'm always super excited to talk about it. Um, you know, I love this company. I love this industry. And I think that there's just a lot of positives that there's a lot to be positive and hopeful about especially as we're coming out of a really crazy year, you know, like this wasn't a good year for anyone. This was a hard year on the industry. And I think our ability to kind of do things this year, but I have a lot of hope for 2021 for Reborn and our partner brands. And I think that COVID really only reinforced this need to care about people, to care about our planet and to put those efforts at the front of our mind, not the last. So that was Emily over at Reborn. And now we're going to be talking to Amy Cook. My name is Amy Cook, and I am a longtime sewer and child of farming families and old hippies who grew their own grew their own food food and made their own clothes. And uh, my mother insisted that I learn how to sew very young um, on the sewing side. But I also am the kind of kid. I was the kind of kid that would uh, decide to take up dying fabric as a sideline. So I would be outside collecting berries and boiling them and throwing pieces of cloth in them to see if I could get a good purple color when I was like 10 or 11 years old. Um, so um, I've had a long-standing interest in kind of the craft around textiles, um, but also in the kind of ethnobotany of it in the, in the background. Wow. You were 10 when you were trying to make dyes. I was, I'm trying to remember how old I was. And I, I was like, I was definitely younger than 13 because I remember the house that I was in. And we moved out of that house when I was 13. So yeah, 10, 11, 12, something in there. So for the listeners that maybe don't know what textiles are, because I feel like textiles is not really a common topic that is or often talked about, what would you say textiles is or what are textiles? I think of textiles as being um, some kind of a flexible material that is made of um, threads or yarns that have been either woven together or knitted together uh, and interlocked together to make uh, make a piece of fabric that can be then used for either you know, clothing or rugs or, I mean, there's textiles all around us. There's textiles on your chairs and textiles in your car and textiles in the curtains. Um, So we tend to, I think when we talk about textiles, a lot of times it gets talked about as um, just the clothes we wear, but it's also a good chunk. It's it's the hot pan holders in our kitchen for the most part and our aprons as well as our dishcloths, you know, not just, it's not just limited to the clothing that we wear. It's really all around us. Right. So what led to your interest in sustainability and textiles specifically? Um, Well, I'm interested in sustainability of most things because this is what I do. Um, But also 
because I'm teaching courses on agriculture as well, which just the way textiles tend to end up talking about talking about clothing, when you're talking about agriculture, you tend to talk about food, but a lot of what is being produced on agricultural lands is cotton and cotton's a textile. And cotton has really huge amounts of pesticide use. It takes incredible amounts of water to use, to grow. Um, so the sustainability of our cotton crop leads one to think next about the sustainability of our clothing and of our textile crop, <laughs> if we can say it that way, of our textiles as well. Um, and then in terms of teaching it in class, I started having students come in who were interested in the sustainability of textiles, particularly on the waste end. So this is something that enough students brought it to my attention that way. I had already been thinking about cotton and wool, but enough students brought, brought the kind of end in the end game and the whole life cycle to my attention to make me think this is something that we needed to explore a little bit more. That makes sense. So that kind of leads me to the next question, but like, how would you describe sustainable fashion? Well, sustainable fashion um, is thinking about the entire supply chain of our, um, of the clothing that we wear and including in that, of course, because sustainability itself has these kind of three major pillars associated with it, the, the equity or the social component, um, the economic component, and the environmental component. And so we have these, it's like a three-legged stool. It's got to have all those parts being take, taken, being um, examined and being given attention or it can go off balance um, and not be good for the long haul. And we're also with, you know, thinking about sustainability, writ large, there's this kind of time component in it. How do we, how do we focus on the future? How do we focus on our children's children's children or, or other people's children's children's children. How do we handle, what kind of world are we leaving to the people um, who will follow us? Uh, so sustainable fashion then is fashion that keeps all of that in mind and lives lightly on the planet, but also then does it in such a way as to not exacerbate social inequities around the world. Right. So do you think as a consumer, there are any responsibilities that consumers should take on their end? I think there's definitely responsibilities into not over-consuming, for example. I think, I mean, the biggest ethical consumption thing you could do is not overdo it, um, right. is being aware of how much, how much we consume, how much we bring into our houses, how much we throw away. I mean, there's a huge things that you can do just on that point, on that end. Um, being really careful about what comes into your space. And I think there's a lot of discussion about that. Yeah, realistically, how do you think people would talk about overconsumption? It just sounds like a very like personal, like I don't know, and then that's like a behavior change and then people have different yeah, reasons. The behavior changes. There's definitely yeah. behavior changes in there. And certainly, you know, when the economy's bad, we consume less because we don't have as much money. Um, but also that which we do consume frequently is when, you know, when you're poor, you can't put forth the money to buy the things that will last longer. Mm -hmm. um, and that is in and of itself a, a problem. Um, so, but being aware of your consumption, being aware of how long things will last, those are, those are decisions you can make for yourself, being aware of what's high quality. Um, there also are decisions you can make. Mm -hmm. 
it goes back and forth. I feel all very wishy-washy now, but it yeah. kind of goes back and forth too, because if the style is super thin t-shirts that you layer on top of each other, which for several years there, the style was super thin t-shirts that you layer on each other. If you're trying to buy a t-shirt that's going to last a long time, it's not one of those t-shirts. Right. So how do you think we would encourage consumers to choose like the more sustainable, longer lasting clothing over like a fast it's a solid question for the behavioral analysts out there, for the behavioral scientists. <laughs> there, we had a, a behavioral economist, behavioral economist, behavioral psychologist come in who talked about how you, the different techniques you could use to convince people to make sustainable changes in their lives. Oh, that sounds really cool. Yeah, it was pretty interesting. Um, and it was, you know, a huge part of it is rewarding good behavior, having concrete things for them to do. Um, you know, even those little, like, it's like those little I voted stickers, <laughs> you know, when you vote, you want a sticker. Which is so funny. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a part of the, this kind of overall social drive to push us to, um, to do that, to go out and vote is because we want to be able to have our I voted sticker. It makes us so show up and allows us then to um, signal it's virtue signaling, right? It's, we're signaling to other people that we took part in the political process, mm -hmm. even in off years or even in the midterms. Um, so, you know, so there's, got, there's definitely some kind of a little reward system. There's also a way that you can virtue signal to other people or compare yourself to the ones around you. There was, um, they've done a lot of this work around water conservation. I, I haven't seen this kind of work being done around ethical fashion. Uh, there's quite a bit of it around water conservation where on your bill, it might say, in some areas they're trying this out, where on your, on your water bill, it'll compare your water usage to the water usage of your neighbors. Oh, wow. <laughs> or the water usage of other people in your neighborhood that have the house of the same number of bedrooms and people in it, for example. That's crazy. Give you a little smiley face or a little unhappy face. Interesting. And you know, it, and it makes, it's weird how these things get in the back of our head. Right. But those can actually make decisions. Written commitments can have some part of it in it too, where you write down somewhere saying, I will do this. I will buy less clothing. Mm -hmm. I will buy fewer pieces this year than I did last year. Um, those can make a difference as well. Yeah, I'm honestly just really surprised that there aren't more textiles uh, courses to be found considering they're just all around us and we're affected by it every day. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to teach it as well is because I'm really fascinated by the environmental science of everyday things. Right. You know, these, these are the decisions, these are the parts of our lives that we are in, in contact with. We're in contact with water, we're in contact with food, we're in contact with um, textiles. So I guess more on the brand side, what do you think the top three things a brand should focus on in regards to like sustainable practice? Workers' rights, um, water consumption, and their entire supply chain. Like really being aware of your supply chain management and not contracting that out to other people. Because then also you, get, you can get caught in that as well. So, you know, something right. horrible happens down the road or, or if you found out, found out that a factory that you contracted from, that, so you got your label on it, but it was using forced labor somewhere else to do it. If you don't have a good idea what's going on, that you're going to get blindsided and the, and the press will be terrible for that too. So, yeah. you know, general workers' rights, 
water plays into all, all of this so much that I think it's worthwhile to stop and take a look at um, in terms of water pollution, but also in terms of whether or not your workers are in, in touch and you know coming into contact with it and where your supply chain is at. Those are huge questions. Those are huge things. Those are huge things. I think it makes it, that's one, one of the problems is we have these really long supply chains, these really complicated um, supply chains and it makes it really hard to follow up on. It makes it difficult for us to know what's going on with the product that, that, we're, that we're selling and buying. Um, so including the fashion industry can make a big difference on the industrial level before it hits the consumer. There's a lot of things that we can do as consumers in terms of buying less and then not throwing things away, but the fashion industry themselves can put a lot more interest into um, what's happening backstage, so-called backstage, and <laughs> have a much wider range. I think they can have a much wider impact than we're even aware of. And so I'm all here for them to do that. I mean, yes, consumers were complaining, uh, and yes, Greenpeace started really paying attention about five years ago, five, six years ago, to what chemicals were in the dyes that were going into the water in, in China and in Asia. Um, and that helped push the industry because they had some bad images. But once they have some standardization going on in the back end of the supply chain, that has a much wider reach. Well, that was Dr. Cook. Thank you for speaking with us today. I hope that these conversations regarding the textile industry will inspire you to think about your everyday habits. I hope you start to question where your clothes come from, who makes them, and wonder how you can make your closet more sustainable. Thanks, Vivian. You are listening to the Innovating to a Clean Economy podcast, a place where we bring industry, students, government, and academia together to drive collaboration for the clean tech economy. Join me in thanking our clean tech student interns who were amazing this season and the Institute for the Environment at UNC Chapel Hill for their role in bringing this program to you. And if you like what you heard, please subscribe to this podcast. And to learn more about our clean tech economy work, type IE Clean Tech Corner into your browser. Thanks for listening.